Hello, Parkview. This is Thomas Hoke, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Parkview Group's podcast. This episode is for the week of March 27th through April 2nd, which is Palm Sunday, by the way, a week from Easter. So we're preparing for that. My goal each week on this podcast is to inform and guide group members and train group leaders at Parkview to make disciples. Uh, that's what we're all about. We're going to be a whole church forming whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. That's how we glorify God. So this week we are learning from Acts 25, the whole chapter. And during our training segment, I'm going to basically preview our summer groups session. And uh, so if you're a group member, listen in. If you're a group leader, definitely listen in and get an update on what we are doing this summer. Let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. That is what we're doing every week. That's all we're about. And that's that's why group members and group leaders, that's what we are accomplishing here. That's how we help carry Parkview's vision forward as a ministry. So let's do it. And let's find out some stuff going on around Parkview. Okay, we're looking into April now. April. So on April 15th, that is a Saturday, we are holding a workshop called the Matters of Life and Death Workshop. Now, just recently, I, well, I guess it's not that recent, but um, I've been reading a book called Finding Grace in the Face of Dementia. And it's a book about aging and about memory loss and uh, that, you know, typically affects older people. And the reason I've been reading that is partly because of my grandmother who was suffering from some of those issues. Um, and it, Many of you know that she passed away recently, so it's been on my mind, <laughs> um, you know, just managing her care before then. But uh, I also have been thinking about it just because as a church, we have plenty of people who are either in the circumstance of caring for someone who is in old age um, and maybe dealing with memory loss and stuff like that, or are, are dealing with it themselves. And so if we're caring for the whole person uh, at Parkview and and caring for the situations that each of each of us and the people around us are dealing with, that's that's something we would care about. And that's that's what this workshop has been born out of, is concern for those who are dealing with a, a situation that everyone deals with, which is either uh, getting into old age yourself or supporting those who are, whether it's a family member or someone in your community group, whatever. And so this workshop is designed for those who are in that stage of life, considering um the, the next steps, whether that's looking ahead to um, their their care when they grow older, um, what they want to do, leaving a legacy behind uh, when, they're, when they've gone to be with the Lord, and so forth. So that's on Saturday, April 15th here at Central Campus in the morning. I will leave uh, information about that in the episode notes below. Uh, secondly, on April 16th, so the very next day, that is a Sunday, there will be a potluck at East Campus. Potluck at East Campus. East Campus folks know what that's all about. Potluck after the service at East Campus. So I may sneak over there and eat some macaroni. I don't know. But now you know. All right. That's what's going on. Let's get into the passage. All right. We're in Acts 25. If you want to, I know some of you sit here, sit there with your Bible and, and get it out to read through it. Some of you are in your car. Some of you are uh folding the clothes, which I'm often doing when I'm listening to something like this, but that's where we'll be. I will read the passage in its entirety and comment on it and give you uh, the big picture of the passage, some speed bumps that could disrupt discussion, and a couple places to land in application. We are really getting down there in the book of Acts, and um, so let's get into it. 
starting in Acts 25, verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Now, remember, uh, in the verse immediately before this, it was the end of the reign of Felix, who was the governor of the province that included Jerusalem before Festus. And you'll remember that Felix desired to do the Jews a favor before he left office. He went ahead and left Paul in jail for two years. So now Festus, or Porcius Festus, as we uh, know from the historical records, not Christian records, but just ancient Roman records, this is a real person who existed. Porcius Festus became the governor of the province of Syria, which included Judea, and of course, contained in Judea would be both Jerusalem and Caesarea. And he is concerned to find out as much as he can as the new guy in charge about the people that he's ruling over. Um, the city of Jerusalem and the, the Jewish nation, the capital, of course, and all that, were conquered by Rome. Well, they're conquered by Greece, and then Greece was con- conquered by Rome. And so now they are sort of a vassal state controlled by Rome, but they allowed them to have their own rulers in place as so long as they would submit to the Roman rule. And that's why we have Festus here, in addition to a guy called Agrippa, who seems to be the king of Judea, he's often called. Um, and those people were both in charge of the same area, although obviously Festus was the one really in charge because if um, Agrippa went against Festus, uh, Agrippa or <laughs> Agrippa would lose. Uh, but anyway, just a little point of clarification. So moving on. And the fr- chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way just like two years ago when uh, when they tried to do the same thing when Felix was in charge. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So they're going down to Caesarea. There's, he says, Paul is down there. If you guys want to come check it out with me, go ahead and come. So after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. I'll pause there. Notice how he says eight or 10 days. One of the things I love here is that Luke clearly did not know whether it was eight days or 10 days. And so he just tells us. Uh, To me, that's a mark of authenticity uh, to say it was either eight or 10 days. I don't know which it was. So I'm just going to tell you, rather than pretending that he is an omniscient narrator who knows everything, even though this is clearly it's Luke's spirit-led, spirit-filled, inerrant telling of the facts of this case, he didn't know the answer. And that's okay. So he says eight or 10 days. I don't know. But then he goes down to Caesarea. So Festus goes down to Caesarea where they're going to meet up with Paul and the Jewish leaders and we're going to have another trial. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. So this Paul brought before another court, a similar court to the one he was brought to before. But now instead of being tried before Felix with the Jewish authorities there, he's tried before Festus and the Jewish authorities that were in place then. Verse 7, when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Um, now, before we go on to Paul's defense, why why wouldn't Luke state what those many and serious charges against him were that they could not prove? It seems like the obvious answer is that they were probably the exact same charges that were leveled against Paul back in chapter 24. Uh, and so there's no point. Luke probably didn't see a point in reproducing the exact same thing another time. So he just states that he they bring many and serious charges, but they couldn't prove them, uh, which is basically the same thing that happened last time. Verse 8. Paul argued in his defense, 
neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. That's his whole defense right there. (laughs) Um, And he's very simple and he's very succinct. Against the law of the Jews, that is the law of Moses, nor against the temple. Uh, That would be a concern to both the Jewish rulers and the Roman rulers because, of course, the, the Jews were concerned for the temple. And you remember when Paul was sort of captured by the Jews back in the temple, they said, you have brought a Greek man in here, which would have been a big no-no. Of course, he hadn't. But anyway, uh, it was also against the Roman law because the one of the protections that's afforded the religious uh, authorities in the Roman uh, ruled states was that people could not desecrate temples. That was a big no-no. Temple robbery, temple desecration. And so that's Paul saying, neither against the law of Moses, nor have I desecrated the temple, which was something the Jews and the Romans cared about. And then he finally says, nor against Caesar, which is to say the law of Rome. Have I committed any offense? He's saying, I have done nothing wrong. It's in many ways the same as he said in the last two sort of uh, interrogations he had. I've kept a clear conscience from, from, from then, this whole time, he's saying. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Now, this is exactly what the Jews wanted, right? Because they're going to ambush him. Now, (laughs) Festus doesn't seem to know that, um, but he wants to do them a favor, and their plan is to kill him on the way, of course. Um, But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. Quite a thing to say. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give them up me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And this is the last thing we hear until he addresses Agrippa in the next uh, chapter. Um, If there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. Paul is clearly aware that if he leaves Roman custody and is handed over to the Jews, whether in their custody as as their sort of prisoner and as their, uh, what would you call it, sort of criminal to try, or even just to, to sort of set him loose, to just set him outside and say, go do your best, Paul, would be to hand him over to death, to give him the death sentence. And so he says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, what does that mean, to appeal to Caesar? It is essentially to appeal to sort of the supreme court of of Rome at that point. And we know from historical sources that this was a, a viable option for Roman citizens to appeal to Caesar at that particular time. This was something that they could do. It was one of the rights afforded to Roman citizens. Um, Paul clearly knows that he is not going to get justice with the Jewish justice system since they are trying to kill him. He's not going to uh, really going to get justice from Rome necessarily. And we know that Paul does go on to be executed by the Romans. uh, And yet he chooses to go to Rome. Why? Now, there's a few options, a few reasons he might. But it seems like the clearest one is that Paul is insistent that he take the gospel to Rome. Uh, This is what Jesus has told him, and this is what he intends to do, even though it does end up in his death. It is also a much better option than going over to the Jews, who clearly are about to chop his head off. Moving on. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. So we have a couple new characters on the scene. Agrippa, uh, better known as Herod Agrippa II, was the grandson of that Herod. Yes, the one who, when Jesus was born, ordered the slaughter of children under the certain age to prevent uh, this messianic king from coming. Of course, he failed. 
Um, but that this is his grandson, Agrippa II. Uh, he was known in many places. He's known as the king of Judea. He was the ruler of Judea, so, so to speak. And this was, like I said, he was sort of the vassal king um, of Judea, nominally in charge of the region and did control their, their goings about uh, administratively, ruled over cases that were pertaining to them. However, still always under the finger of Rome and under the control. If he lost command uh, of the of the city or the region, or they weren't ru- he wasn't ruling in a way that they liked, he, they would come in and he would well be killed. So he, uh, not a great guy, by the way. Uh, he is the Agrippa you may remember from Acts twelve, who uh, stood up to give the speech you might remember, uh, and did not give glory to God and was struck with worms, and died um, because he did not give God the glory. That was back in Acts 12, 23. So, um, yes, isn't that, it may seem a little bit confusing that this guy died in Acts 12, so to speak, and here we are in Acts 25. Um, But that just goes to show you that when Luke is telling the story, he is more concerned to develop the kind of his concern about the events that happened rather than to tell them in chronological order. Um, there's, there's no reason to think that that's any sort of discrepancy or any kind of, uh, contradiction, um, in the passage or anything. Uh, it's, it would not have surprised his readers, obviously, um, because they would have known that this, these things are being told in this way for a certain purpose. Uh, his point in Acts 12 was to show that, uh, that Herod did not have the power that he thought he did. Um, and he accomplished that by telling us that he went on to be, to, to die by worms when he didn't give God the glory even though that happens sometime later than the events that he was describing then. Um, So anyhow, uh, Agrippa is brother to Drusilla, who you'll remember from the former chapter, uh, the wife of Felix, who preceded Festus um, as the governor of Syria. He uh, was a very good vassal king of Judea. He sided with Rome in um, in 70 AD when the Jews rebelled against Rome in a war that ended in the defeat of Jerusalem and, of course, destroyed the temple in, in Jerusalem, which would not be rebuilt for, year, I mean, I guess millennia probably. Um, and so this is a bad dude, and he ends up being dead. Bernice is his sister, uh, not his wife, as it, I don't know, might you might assume it says Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, but it's actually a sister. There were rumors that they were not only sister, but maybe more than that, because uh, things were crazy in Rome. But uh, anyway, that's a little preview of who he is. Verse 14, and as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, that is Agrippa, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. I want you to notice just as I'm reading through this this description, it's a really, uh, most of this chapter is taken up with describing to us the legal procedures that were happening behind the scenes. Paul only speaks 90 words in this entire in this entire chapter, even though obviously his case is the one that's really concerning us. Why 
would Luke go to such trouble to describe to us the behind the scenes Roman proceedings between these base? I mean, I've told you some of their litany of not so great unrighteous moves. These are not good people. They're not nice people. They're corrupt kings. They want bribes. You remember Felix wanted to bribe from Paul. Festus is really no better. Agrippa is just crazy. And here they are basically, anyway, you'll see what I mean in a second. Rather, so being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. And so we have this whole sort of background of, of the Festus describing to Agrippa and Bernice why he did what he did. Um, we'll think a little bit more in a second about why we get all of that. But what I want to point out to you here is just the parallel between Paul and Jesus. Uh, this may have been obvious to you for some time now, but um, in the same way that we have the, the long extended sort of description of, uh, of Jesus's trial and his, uh, you know, killing at the hand of the Romans with the complicity of the Jewish people who, you know, they want the Romans to do them a favor by executing this criminal, couldn't do it themselves, that is Jesus. The difference being uh, Paul is giving a defense and Jesus did not. Um, but it's clear that Luke wants us to, to see that comparison. He wants to draw it out. If you want to really sort of zoom in on that parallel, uh, I'd, I'd suggest, especially since we're in the Easter season, we're thinking about the 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 death and resurrection of Jesus, it's a good time to go back to the Gospels and just remind yourself of, of what we're remembering in the season. Uh, that would be something like Luke 22 through 24, Matthew 26 through the end, Mark 14 through the end, John 18 through the end. So basically just go to the end of each gospel, back up a few chapters, basically go to the heading, the plot to kill Jesus and start there and go to the end and really immerse yourself in the Easter story and prepare your, prepare your heart for that. Um, but like I said, clearly we were intended to see Paul as sort of a Christ figure. This is not because Luke wants to hold Paul up as the perfect disciple or anything like that. But I think what he wants us to see is that the pattern of Jesus is the pattern of all disciples. And in this case, Paul happens to be the disciple in question. And he wants to show us that following Jesus means following in, in his footsteps, whether that means suffering and death or life and, and, and a future that doesn't include uh, persecution and death. Um, but Paul is held up to us, uh, like I said, in this way. Uh, I'll move on. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Um, so tribunes would be leaders, commanders of over a thousand men. This is a huge gathering. This is, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. And when it says they came with great pomp, they mean this is this is this is Paul's big moment to sort of present himself in this case. Uh, then at command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said. King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write." For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. By the way, that word unreasonable is the it means absurd. Um, 
maybe a not a as hard enough of a definition uh, or a translation there unreasonable it means it would be totally senseless it would be it would be lacking sense to do so his point is if he's going to send him to caesar imagine this is a pretty big deal there's only one of them uh, the supreme ruler the supreme court so to speak he is judge jury and not executioner but basically everything else um then you better have a good reason for it and you better give him some good information. You better outline the charges. You better make it clear why you're going to send this guy all the way across the empire um, to be tried. Um, and so that's that's the burden of Festus in this case and why he's brought him before this tribunal. Paul in, ver- in chapter 26, which is our Easter passage this year, is going to give his sort of final defense before he's sent off to Rome. And some of you probably know that we we don't actually find out in Acts. We don't have Paul come before Caesar. He does end up in Rome. Um, but the end of uh, Acts 28 is Paul with the, the Jews in Rome, not Paul with Caesar. Um, but Paul does end up in Rome. So, woo, okay. I'm glad you hung on for that uh, 15 minutes or so of just reviewing everything that happened there and going a little deeper. And I hope you find that you found this helpful, whether you're here, you're listening as a leader, as I've asked you to do, or listening to this as a group member. Um, it's really hard for us as preachers to get through the whole passage and give you a, a meaningful sort of view of what this passage is about. And so I've really hoped that many of you would lean on these podcast episodes as a way of getting getting the depth that we can't really give you from the pulpit, um, especially with passages that are, you know, as long as this one or much longer as we have had others. So anyway, thanks for hanging on. Here is the big idea, I think, a big idea of this passage. There's going to be a lot of peas in it, so prepare yourself. God providentially protects his people and purpose. So this is my reflection on the fact that we get such, this is an odd chapter in that we don't have much of the words of Paul, nor do we have much background on sort of the way that God is acting uh, through his people. What we do have is is Luke describing the behind the scenes legal uh, proceedings that in the end will protect Paul and speed him on his way and the gospel along with him to the center of imperial power. Uh, where the gospel will go in Rome, consider the book of Romans and the people there, and and basically to the heart of the empire, and from there throughout the world. Um, and so as we look at this, I, I'm so struck by the competing interests of the Jewish people and the Romans, and how each of them is really looking out for their own concerns in a way that really, it when you think about it, is, is pretty messed up. Both sides are completely willing to twist justice to their own ends. They're willing to do little favors and, and be backbiting and kind of do what they what will serve them best. And yet God is behind the scenes sort of doing spiritual jujitsu on the on each of them, so that Paul, in the midst of that crazy storm of competing interests, gets a as Michael Height described of this passage, an all expense paid protected trip to the heart of the empire. Now we know he goes there and dies, but the point is God providentially protects his people and purpose all the way there. Now, what do we do with that? How do we bring that home? How do we apply that? Well, first I I was convicted last time when I talked about prayer at the end of the, uh, our episode that I just don't talk about prayer enough. And so here's what one thing I want to encourage you to think about is if, if this is true of Paul, and like I said, Luke presents this as uh, not, not Paul as the model disciple, but showing us that the way of Jesus takes us 
in the way of Jesus, including the way of, of persecution and death and so forth, I want to invite you to consider that this is real for you too. That when you move into risk and boldness to follow the mission of Jesus, that God will also providentially protect his people, you, his person, and his purpose through you. Um, and by the way, it takes an awful lot of faith to really believe that is true in the in the situation that you are facing right now. Whatever comes up when I say that, whether it is in your work life or your family life, and you feel terrified to talk about Jesus, the Bible understands you. And here, we are receiving the Lord's instruction that if you go with him into that dark valley, that he will lead you, ultimately, the Good Shepherd will lead you into green pastures and still waters. So I want to encourage you to pray your way into that peace. Pray your way into God's peace. The way that we actually get our hearts to believe what our heads know, that because of Jesus, God will never leave us, God will never forsake us, and even when he leads us, just like I said, into a dark valley, that he is actually leading us into green pastures and still waters, to actually believe that, that is the real work of being a Christian. And God is so in it. And we can pray our hearts into that reality because if we're honest, if we really reflect, our, our feelings will not lead us into it. Our intellect might help us but cannot ultimately lead it, us into it. But the kind of humility that leads us to our knees before God can lead us to actually believe in our hearts what we speak with our mouths, what we don't yet feel with our emotions, and what we're not yet doing with our hands. So I want to encourage you to pray your way into God's peace to believe this truth. Secondly, I want to ask you a question. Where do you sense that God is already providing those pockets of protection, so to speak, that God is already providentially protecting you uh, and your purpose? Where is God advancing his kingdom through the little providential opportunities? Uh, at different times, we've thought of these as people of peace and so forth. Where, where are those chances? where you sense, I have an opportunity here. I have a friendship. I have influence, whatever it is, and to begin thinking about that, especially with Easter on the horizon. Uh, this is the right time uh, to reach out and make some of those invitations. I've been so encouraged, by the way, um, by your faithfulness. So many stories that I'm hearing, the fruit of your time in the book of Acts has become just so evident, and it's so encouraging to me. So um, I'd also just point you to, we, we made a podcast on the training podcast. We released one where Mark uh, Balmer, Casey, who's just wonderful um, staff person here uh, and member of my community group. She's great. We talked about evangelism and tried to keep it at the level of, for those who are terrified and not, <laughs> and feel not ready and yet know that the Lord is calling them forth. Um, that's for you. So I'll, I'll try to link that in the episode notes below. But that is all for our passage this week. I'm looking forward to preaching it. And I hope you're looking forward to studying it more and bringing everything you glean to your group to bless them and to honor God. Let's move on If to our training segment. If you are a group leader, buckle up. If you are not, Listen in if you want, but what I'm going to be talking about is how our group sessions are going to work this summer. So it's going to be a lot of logistics and less kind of training-minded, but uh, you will get it as we go. 
All right. Uh, so, like I said, I want to talk about uh, this summer and basically the logistics of what we are doing because uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Now, I covered this at the community group leaders retreat, and of course, I followed up with uh, with a another recording of of just trying to be helpful and explain the different things that we're doing differently going forward. But uh, I just want to review that again and make sure that we are all on the same page. So, when I say session, here's what I mean. Uh, in the past, the way that our groups have worked is they have been a perpetual ministry, meaning there is no stop or start. There is just go, go, go. Our groups are always meeting and there's kind of no pause. And, and the, of course, what that means is there's really no on or off ramp. Uh, anytime is a great time to join a group. And once you join one, and maybe also once you start leading one, you're kind of doing it and locked in forever. Now, what I have learned both as a leader and in meeting with you as leaders and in talking with group members is that it would be very helpful for us to have a different rhythm for group life for different parts of the year. And as I've learned, this is, this is something that basically already is happening for most of you. And basically what I want to do is A, give you permission to follow the natural rhythms of our community and not feel pressure to meet when no one is available or when it just doesn't make sense, and to keep trucking on during the times when it does make sense. I also want to give you the opportunity to have on and off ramps for people to join groups and to look for new groups. So I know that there have been times, well, let me pause there. When I say session, here's what I mean, just to make sure we're totally on the same page. So what we'll have is a is three sessions during each year of ministry. The fall session will extend from the community group kickoff, which is generally in the last week or two of August. So that's get together at Central Campus because it's got room for everyone, uh, eat a meal together, talk through what it looks like to be a group together, uh, kind of chart a path forward and, and launch out. That's the community group kickoff. So that fall session runs from then to about the first or second week in, in December. And like I said, in my experience, that's when groups tend to tail off and then kind of pick back up when the next semester starts in January. And that's what we'll do. So fall, 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 sorry, fall session would go from the kickoff end of August to the beginning of December or so, first week or two of December. Then uh, we're off, so to speak. Uh, there's You can still meet with your group if you want to, uh, but there's no pressure to, and there won't be a podcast produced. There won't be field notes produced. Your group members won't get the group guide. Um, it will be very clear to them that they're, they should not expect that you are leading your group still. If you want to get together socially or get together to pray, whatever, no one is stopping you. Um, but you have, you have every right, and I really encourage you to take that time to just rest um, and connect with your group as you as you're able and as you if you want to, um, but but not to feel any pressure to to really continue pressing on in ministry. You need rest. Um, so that's a fall session. Then the spring session would go from the group leader retreat ish, you know, middle of January or so, all the way to May, the middle of May. So you can see we're basically following the university calendar essentially. Um, so the spring semester ending in the middle of May. And then this, and then again, taking a break between then basically kind of graduation, uh, for the university and June. Uh, so two weeks of just nothing particularly going on again, no podcast produced, no field notes produced. Uh, I'm not going to be reaching out to you to arrange a bunch of stuff, just a dead period. And then 
starting in the beginning of June and extending until the end of July. So those two months that we would have a summer session. And, um, and then from there, uh, again, a dead period extending from the end of July until the community group kickoff. So uh, that would mean as a group leader, uh, like I think I've clarified in the past, but I'm going to ask you for a one-year commitment. Soon I'll be sort of asking you to re-up that commitment for 2023 and four. Um, but basically I'm asking you to lead those three sessions. And, and uh, uh, yeah, that's how the session structure is intended to work. Uh, I want you to know that now in particular because this is the first time at the end of this spring session that we are going to uh, uh, ask people what they want to do next. So like I said, one of the reasons to do these se- this session structure, excuse me, session structure is because as I talk with people who I would love to be group leaders and group members, one of the common refrains I hear is that they're hesitant to join something that's perpetual, sort of a foggy commitment that extends out into the future seemingly forever. Um, you know, if I sign up to be a group leader, if I signed up two years ago, most of you, as you're listening to this, know you basically, you probably feel like you're signed up until you die, basically. And uh, I don't want that to be the case. And I know that has, that has stopped from pe- some people from leading groups because they don't want to sign up for something that seems to just run all year round forever. Um, so, and same thing for group members. When there isn't a clear time to join a group, a clear push to join a group, and it's always just kind of open and available um, with no, there's no special season to join up and, and no time uh, to to tail off, then there's not any reason that now is the time to join a group. And so I want to change that by having clear on-ramp, off-ramp times. Now, what does an off-ramp mean? So uh, in the beginning of May, well, I guess it'll be a little bit before uh, May, each of your group members is going to get a message from uh, from, I I don't know if it'll be me or my admin, Emily, but basically it's going to be a very simple thing that we'll have them respond to asking them a very simple question. And that is, Hey, in the summer session, do you want to stay with your current group? I'm guessing 98% of people will say, yes, that's what I want to do. Stay with my current group. Do you want to join a new group, find a new group, in which case we'll get them connected to with a new group, or do you just need a break from being part of a group for the summer? Um, and like I said, I don't anticipate that this is going to lead to a big scrambling of people joining new groups or taking a break from groups at all. I think probably a lot of people will ignore it, to be frank. Um, But the people that are looking to, you know, find a different group, great. And we'll say, God bless you. We want you to grow wherever is going to be best for you. Um, And we're going to ask you to commit where you end up, too. (laughs) Um, So it's not just sort of a consumeristic free-for-all, but it's an intentional move. Um, Now, what this summer session is going to look like is this. Uh, Instead of keeping up with the sermon-based questions that we have done, the podcast and all of that, we're doing something simpler. And that's because we know that in the summer, people go on vacation, people are less available, and to get the whole group together and expect that everyone has listened to a podcast or listened to the sermon even or shown up to church or whatever it happens to be is just a lot more spotty. Um, And that can be wonderful and and. The summer is one of my favorite times for group life because there's just there are more opportunities for mission because people kind of come out of their hole in Iowa City, uh, done hiding and hibernating for the winter, and they're ready to make new friends again and all that. That's great, um, but it makes things challenging as far as getting on the same page uh, about sort of the content that we're working through. 
And so, but if there's something like a book, which is what we're going to do, where you can read it, you can participate in it, no matter where you are, whether you're traveling or whatever, um, then whenever you show up to group, you're able to literally be on the same page as the rest of the group and follow along for the summer. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be reading a book called Gentle and Lowly. Um, some of you I know have read it already and have been super duper helped by it. Um, this is, It's just a tremendous book. It's been It's got to be one of the top books that I've read in the last five years, probably. Um, it's been a huge seller and people have loved it. Um, is written by Dane Ortland, who is a, a friend of mine, I, can, I think I can say. Um, we have gone several times to his church in Naperville to meet with him and talk, talk ministry. Um, he uh, personally discipled Wade Urig, our college pastor, when, when he was at Wheaton with him. Um, and so we, we really just love this book and we think it'll be a huge help. I'm actually going to have Dane, the author, on uh, the training podcast to kind of introduce the book to to Parkview. And so he agreed to be interviewed for that. And and I think it'll be really, really helpful. So we're going to have copies of that book, Gentle and Lowly for Leaders, you, if you're a leader listening. Um, and we'll also have a limited number of copies for members. Um, we got a, a bunch of these books for free. Um, there's, there's a really cool story behind that, but we're going to offer those on a, on a first come, first serve basis and probably hold some back for those who have budget concerns. But it's a very affordable book if, if uh, group members need to go ahead and buy it. So um, we were going to have that available. And that's our, our plan for the summer. We'll give you a little reading plan sample that you can modify and, and try to make it as easy as possible for you to lead through that, uh, along with sort of discussion and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there won't be field notes. There won't be the podcast. There won't be the group guide. All that stuff is going to go away in the summer. And we'll just kind of take a little bit of a breather and read a book together. Um, so... Really looking forward to that, and uh, so that's that's the plan for the summer. We're gonna go with the session structure that I've described. Um, we'll be reading that book now. If if you're like, I hate this idea. Um, I I really don't want to read that book, or I'd rather we have a different thing in mind. Then I'd say God bless you and go for it. Um, of course, within so we always say as far as content goes, within biblical expectations. Um, if you're planning to read Joel Osteen or Paula White or something, we'll have a conversation. Uh, but um, uh, would love to have uh, have our group, our church, really immerse themselves in this book, which I think has just been so helpful. Um, so, summer session from June to the end of July, uh, giving a good on and off ramp for group life and a bit of a breather for you as leaders and then picking up again in the leader kickoff. So uh, I hope that's helpful. If you have questions about that, please feel free to either reach out to me now or write down a question in your uh, that leader's guide, if you remember that we gave you, has space for you to sort of write down things you want to make sure you talk about when you meet with me. Write something down that you want to talk about, and uh, we'll get to it. But uh, let's take a moment now, pray for our group members as we seek to help them grow in Christ through your ministry this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for each of our group members. We treasure them. We ask that you would help them to grow this week in Christ. We pray that you would help them to understand your word as they read it day by day. We pray that you would help them to grow in prayer. We pray that you would help them to sense that you are providentially protecting them and your purposes through them, as we have learned in Acts 25. We pray that you would use this passage and our leadership to help bear fruit that abides for
for your kingdom forever. Help us to love them toward Jesus and through them to call sinners to repentance, especially with Easter in mind, that they would rejoice in your resurrection, your death on their behalf, and that you would fill them with gospel hope forever. We pray that you would help us, give us the energy we need to lead them toward this. And we pray that, I pray, Lord, for these leaders, that you would fill them with your love for them so that all these things might be possible. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging on for for a longer version here. And I hope, uh, hope you do well. See you next week.